Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 151, How to Have Joy in Your 2020 Life. Welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg. And at the time of this recording, God bless Michigan. We're in another lockdown. Uh, and my dear husband, Matt, is unable to be with us because he is with our three kids. And I don't have Steve here either because, guys, he's got Rona. <laughs> he's just texted me last night. And he's like, Lori, I've been diagnosed with the Rona. Thankfully, he uh, is feeling pretty good, but he's uh, he said his voice is shot. So I'm super sad that we don't have the most professional radio voice among us because we could use it. So I am so thankful, though, that I am not alone. And if you guys are watching this today, did you know that you can watch these podcast episodes on Vimeo or YouTube? Just search Lori Krieg. Just throw all the vowels in between the L and the K and you basically got my name. No, it's lower L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G. But guys, who is the guest saving me from my loneliness today? No, that'd be Jesus. But we have a real life person with me and it's Shanti Feldhahn. Thank you so much for being here and welcome Shanti. I am delighted to be with you and I'm so sorry about all of the uh, coronavirus related things that you were going through. Oh man, just when you think you like got through it, you don't, you're not, it's still here. It's still here. Uh, well, and, and you know, you guys are in Michigan. My husband's family is all from Michigan and we actually didn't know that they were shutting down Michigan when they called us yesterday and said, yeah, we all got exposed to the coronavirus. And so you can't uh, come for Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh no. So you were, but we, oh. we, it's like not unexpected because you know, yeah. 2020. 2020. Jesus help us. I'm so glad that we're going to yeah. be talking about your book today because girlfriend, I need it. Guys, if you don't know Shanti, I'm just going to give you a little background about her and then we're going to dive into her book. It's about joy and I need it. Don't click it off. We got to talk about joy. Okay, but Shanti is a popular speaker, best-selling author, and groundbreaking social researcher. Her findings have been featured in media as diverse as Focus on the Family, Family Life Today, and New York, the New York Times, and Cosmo. That's the one that threw me when I was reading your bio, Sean, she was Cosmo. But with a master's degree from Harvard University, you know, just a little, little university called Harvard, Shanti has worked on Wall Street and Capitol Hill, and now she applies her analytical skills to illuminating surprising truths about relationships. And guys, she's written many books, including the new devotional, which is beautiful and rich and easily relatable, but it's called Find Joy, a devotional journey to unshakable wonder. Unshakable wonder. I'm so glad that that's, I just can't wait to dive into that part. In an uncertain world. I, I don't know this uncertain world of which you speak. No, Shanti. I don't either. What are you even saying? Oh my well, goodness. That is so strange. I wrote this devotional in 2019. Oh my, and we thought life was hard then. And picked the end of October 2020 to publish it, to release it. It's like, oh, could, could not have known how desperately needed that would be. You are so right, man. God knew. But God, I'm so excited uh, to dive into this conversation with you. But let's warm up with a little icebreaker question, which this is the question of the week from last week, guys. No you pressure. Guys <laughs> All right. No pressure. Um, but what is the craziest or silliest competition you've ever done? Like, I know there's like 0.1Ks you can do or like, oh, that's I don't know. Yeah. So what's something like competition you like a fun run or something. Okay. So the, probably the craziest thing I've ever done with a competition is my husband is a runner and I'm not. 
Okay. So just, let's just get that out on the table. Like he let's loves get it out. going for a run. And my daughter, she's a college student. She loves going out for a run. I'm like, that is so not me, but we were living in New York and um, you live in New York. It's like, you need to do the New York city marathon. Like you just have to. And so I decided two and a half months before the marathon. No, that Jeff, Jeff had already like, I'm going to run the marathon. And I said, I should run the marathon with you. No training, nothing. Two and a half months before was the first time I'd ever really run in my life. Oh my <laughs> so that's probably the cra- <laughs> that's definitely the craziest thing that I've ever done. I yeah. love it. I love your chutzpah, your gumption. Oh, well, here's the fun thing is that I, there is no way I would have finished that thing if Jeff, because he's like the sweetest guy in the world, he gave up his time to run with me. Aww. And to sort of basically be like, you can do it. I am quite sure that there were times I was going slower than a walking pace. Oh, <laughs> but you did it. You finished. So I finished. Yeah, that's amazing. I don't know if I could do that. And I am air quotes a runner, but I don't know about 24 million <laughs> miles like that. 26. Okay. You guys, I asked the audience this question. You guys have some funny ones. And most of them, I think, revolve around youth group games. But this one from Kaylin, I definitely laughed at. My crazy family competition is called cricket spinning. So every Thanksgiving, my aunt and I will sneak away from the rest of the family activities and um, we'll dress up as hillbillies and run back into the room um, with a crazy, stupid, thick accent. Um, and we'll gather all the family and into the backyard and, um, we'll have gone out and gotten live crickets from the pet store, um, that you feed to like lizards and whatnot. And, um, everyone will take one. Um, we'll have someone stand out in the yard. So everyone lines up on the deck and puts a live cricket into their mouth and sees how far they can spit it. Um, and then the winner is the one who spits it the farthest um, on point of contact with the ground. So we don't count when they start crawling again and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we do. For me, I would say, so I have 11 brothers and sisters and wow. it's like nonstop games. You know, you mentioned going home for the holidays. So when we get together, it's usually only once a year. But when we get together, it, the way to unify 12 kids plus if they're married spouses and their million kids is to play games. And we don't, you, there's not a board game that fits 12 kids, etc. You have to come up with your own competition. So often it's like, okay, let's make inside jokes. Let's throw a video camera on it. And you have to make it in 60 seconds or less, this filmed beautiful thing. And we'll throw it on Instagram for everyone to laugh at us. So I would just say anytime my family gets together, there's some sort of video, there's lots of inside jokes, and it's really fun. It sounds like you guys automatically have a family TikTok channel. That's kind of what that sounds like. <laughs> really should. I mean, if it's 60 seconds or less, that's like perfect. <laughs> I, I know. feel like I, the Von Trapp family singers, like put it up oh, there on oh, TikTok. Girl. The amount of times our family has sang from Sound and Music and then... <laughs> Then on stages at churches, Lord, help me, help me. It's funny. There's video footage. I'm serious. You've got a TikTok channel. Absolutely. (laughs) 
Oh man, Shanti, I would love to get to know not only uh, your gumption in doing a race, but I want to get to know you, some of your gospel story for those of us who maybe haven't heard it. And we've asked every guest from for the last 150 episodes uh, this set of questions, which it's this, if the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine and yet more sinful than I believe, thanks Keller. When was that gospel first good news for you and how is it still? It's a great question. And Tim Keller is like my favorite person ever. Right. He, we actually went to Redeemer while we were living in New York City with Tim as our pastor. It was like sitting under C.S. Lewis every Sunday. It was crazy. I'm sure. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, crazy. Um, it's interesting. The way that Jesus really became real to me is sort of this is going to sound funny, but it's almost the reverse of what some, some other people's stories are. I grew up in a sweet little Protestant church, um, but it was, and it was very loving, but very like um, social gospel loving. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I really heard the gospel preached um, or at, they probably did. And I just didn't absorb it. Like it just wasn't right. personal to me at all. And um, the way God kept me in church when I went off to college, because of course I stopped going to church because it didn't mean anything to me, um, actually was that I missed singing. And all of my best friends on my freshman hall were all Catholic and they all attended the Catholic student mass hmm. and um, said, hey, come join the, the equivalent of the, the worship band. And I'm like, but I'm not Catholic. They're like, that's okay. <laughs> anyway. And that's how God kept me in church. And um, my senior year, right before I graduated, I went on a little um, Catholic retreat called Encounter with Christ and met Jesus there. It's still the most evangelical retreat I've ever been on. And so I came to the Lord, came to Jesus through the Catholic church, through this mm. student mass. I love it. And yeah. how do you still need that good news of the gospel? I mean, you <gasps> we're under Keller, so you know all roads lead to, Ke lead to <laughs> Keller. There's idolatry. Yeah, all roads lead like to that. the gospel. <laughs> no, no, no. He called me out on it. But like, how do you need the good news of the gospel today? Oh, man. You know, it's so, and I'll just give you an example that just happened this morning. Um, because this happens every day, obviously, because right. we need Jesus every single day. Every um, day. It, it is, it is so easy for me to instantly tell other people, you know, how they should trust the Lord. And I was talking to a girlfriend who, um, has struggled with her faith. Um, and she was like, I just can't with these evangelicals who say such and such and such and such, and I'm never going to be going to an evangelical church ever again. And, and I said, look, the things that they said were in my opinion, um, not healthy and they were wrong, but you know, that's not Jesus. And it's so easy for us to discount the things that um, the things of the Lord because of his people. Mm. And so I was like encouraging her, don't, you know, don't, don't get so into the hypocrisy or whatever of yeah. his people that you miss Jesus. And as I'm typing that <laughs> on my email this morning, I'm like, how often do I do the same stinking thing? Right. How often do I get offended or upset and get so down into politics or whatever, instead of looking for the all sufficiency of the Lord? 
Mm-hmm. And we are m- so broken and we all have these blind spots. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so easy to go, these other people over there need to get their act together. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so easy and so celebrated right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I so appreciate about um, this devotional you wrote, just with the focus on joy, well, just some backstory, that word joy I've talked about on this podcast several times is like, one of my arch nemeses because I'm like, don't tell me to be happy. I'm an Enneagram four. I'm a melancholy, whatever. And so I like can, I've like wrestled with that question. So I was really glad. I'm glad to have this conversation with you. So why did you pick joy as the focus of this devotional? As your nemesis. (laughs) Let me be melancholy and angsty. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's so, it's so interesting. There are some things that God says are supposed to be the characteristic of the Christian. Mm. And joy is at the top of the list, right? Like Mm. joy is supposed to be the characteristic that we have regardless of what is going on around us. And it's regardless of our personality and our temperament. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. And it's not the same thing as like E or happiness, right? Like it's not bouncy, bouncy. Like if you're an Enneagram four, you know the Enneagram enough to know that that's like sevens, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. bouncy, happy people that probably drive you nuts. <laughs> oh, they're some of my closest friends. I okay, need them well, me. They balance me. <laughs> that's good. That's good. But, but we all have a tendency to misunderstand what joy actually is. And that's the greatest misunderstanding. So can you help us understand that? Let's just jump right there. Is, yeah. you know, is it happiness? Is it a difference between Eeyore and Tigger? You know, what are fours and sevens or whatever sort of things you want to say? Like, what is joy? So joy, the biblical definition of joy is this deep, eternal wonder and delight that absolutely does not change Mm. depending on your circumstances Mm. that it has nothing to do with your circumstances if you want to get like technical like there is no biblical if you kind of parse it it's not like it says this anywhere in the bible but you can infer this that the word happiness is more shallow or more surfacey. And it's like you do things to make you happy. And happiness in sort of a pop culture kind of way is is the stuff that it's a feeling that kind of goes up and down depending on what's going on. If things are fair, then you're happy. If your person wins the election, then you're happy. And if people are treating you well, and then if not, then you're unhappy. And joy is completely outside of all of that. It is eternal. And it is there because we have been purchased by Jesus. And the best example that I can give, like sort of a, something you can put your fingers on sort of ish, is when I realized if you look at the Christmas story, And you look at, you know, the angels sort of erupting into the air and proclaiming good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And you look at the original language. You can see this in the concordances if you sort of dive into it a little bit. You see that that message has actually got a bit of a double meaning. It's got the, the news that Jesus is born, 
will bring you joy. But it's also, it could very well easily just as be much be that Jesus has come so that we can have great joy. Mm. And you know that feeling that you get at Christmas where it's like this season. Now, there, it's a difficult season for some people. And sometimes in certain seasons, it's hard for certain things like this Christmas is going to be hard for us. We lost my dad um, mm. last year. And so this is at the very end of the year. And so this is going to be an interesting Christmas for us. Um, but for, mo- for most of us, it's a season where it's like real life kind of holds its breath. Mm. And there's this sense of like heavenly wonder that just it's in the molecules of the air. You just have that sense of eternity is present with us and Jesus is there. Mm. And I realized that is supposed to be the feeling we have all year long. (laughs) Mm. That is supposed to be the reality that we are living in. And that is joy. Mm. So how do you get that? Like, I don't even know the right verb to say of like, are you pursuing joy? Are you sitting in joy? Are you what? Like, how do you get joy? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's something that you absolutely have to pursue because it is there. It's Mm -hmm. like the kingdom, you know, Jesus talked so much about my kingdom being here. And the reality is it's there. It's all around us. The reality of God's presence with us is as close as our heartbeat, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. Jesus in us, but it's not necessarily something that we, as the, we are more sinful than we ever dared believe, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet because of that sinfulness, it is so easy for us to focus on everything else that is going to steal that joy away from us and for us to not live in that awareness constantly. I know I do this all the time. And so it is to be pursued. It's there, Mm -hmm. but it is to be attended to, to be aware of, to be pursued, to be purposeful about it. And the, the cool thing is, and you see this all the way through scripture, that if you will pursue that, it becomes easier the next time and easier the next time and becomes more of a habit. And that is honestly is one of the reasons why I feel like God led me initially to do this as a devotional, not as some, you know, nonfiction book on joy, because Mm. you can read something and it go in. And then the next time that something distracting or frustrating or whatever happens, it sort of leaks away. And Mm. the whole point behind a day to day devotional is that it's a step by step journey and you Mm. apply a little bit of it you learn a little bit more you sit with it you apply a little bit more and it's a 60-day devotional and the whole point is that by the end of the 60 days you look back and you're in a completely different place with sort of habitual joy what a gift to transition into 21 you know like I've said several times of Okay, but what if 21 is worse? We keep like bemoaning 20, 2020, but what if 21's worse? Like, do we have the character developed to go forward into what might be more suffering? But I want to pause a hot second. And I, one gift my mom taught me was, you know, you picture these 12 kids running around and my mom is an introvert and like, you know, I just, she, but her foundation was and is, uh, 
Jesus. And she would do this thing throughout the day where she'd go, I praise you, God. I worship you, God. And I was like, she crazy, (laughs) you know, in my own head. But now like before I get on a stage to speak, or if I'm feeling tense inside, I have that muscle because I watched it and I started doing it. Is it, I, not all the time, uh, but when I'm in a sweet spot, I just, the handle I grip is worship. And I just start saying it out loud. I'm like, praise you, God. I worship you, God. And then all of a sudden I feel inexplicable. It is wonder. It's worship. It's, it's peace. So can you help me? Like, how, how does that translate into your study of joy and awe and worship? That's what it is. Right. I mean, that is a perfect example of we are human. It's not necessarily going to be something that is natural. God knows that. Mm -hmm. That's why one of the reasons he says, say the name of Jesus. Right. Like, and that praise and that worship, he knows that anything the enemy wants to do can't stand up against the mighty matchless name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so you are practiced in because of what you saw demonstrated by your mom, you're practiced in one of the key elements of finding joy in the middle of eh, stress or mm. tension or worry or, or whatever. Mm. So what's now feel free to deflect this to an example from your book, but I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned this Christmas is going to be hard with the loss of your dad. And yeah. so I think about everyone listening, we've all experienced loss this year. And so what is something that they can do to start uh, cultivating this joy, worship, muscle? Uh, Like, what did you do maybe (laughs) in the midst of suffering last year? And what will you do this year to stay on that foundation of joy? Well, one of the, so, okay, let me back up just a step. When we were looking at, and me and my team, um, because I'm a social researcher, right? And most of what I do are nonfiction books to help people thrive in relationships. But we applied a similar pattern to this. Like, what is it that's going to help us find joy? Try to be really purposeful about it. And so looking at both um, scripture and what science says about mm-hmm. it. What, is, what do the neuroscientists find? If you look at the neurobiology of our brains and our makeup and our physiology, what are the things that scientists have found are essential? And the cool thing for me, who is a social scientist, but I'm also a follower of Jesus is, hey, guess what? The scientists <laughs> have found things that scripture said all along. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I absolutely love that. Um, But what we did was to actually look at what are those things. And you see the same threads running through both science and scripture. And and we narrowed it down to eight things. And there's probably more than that, but like the biggies, these eight things. And one of the eight is what you just mentioned. It's the grabbing onto worship of our great God. That actually, believe it or not, that's something that... um, Every 12-step study that has ever been done of helping people Mm -hmm. overcome addiction has found. That's why a 12-step program, which is a secular program, doesn't work without recognizing um, that there's a higher power at work. 
Um, but that's scientifically, that's the reason is you have to have that sense that there's somebody outside yourself that's in control. So that's one of the, the eight. Another one, which is for me a big deal with the passing of my father um, and sort of how different Christmas is going to be and, you know, kind of trying to, to figure out how all that's going to look is one of the things that that science and scripture find is the incredible importance of practicing gratitude. Right. And everybody knows, I think, the importance of gratitude. Like we tell our kids, have an attitude of gratitude. But we, <laughs> don't, we don't necessarily know what that looks like in an adult way. It's not just ginning up a feeling. There's a process that you go through. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you, do you want me just to please? I would love in? to hear. We need it. We need <laughs> tangible things, girl. Help yeah. us. <laughs> because this is this is actually it is fascinating when you look at the neuroscience and you look at scripture. It's like it's so cool to see how the mm-hmm. brain works, how God has mm-hmm. created us. A good example you can find this in Philippians because um, everybody knows um, for especially for us as women. Um, that if relationships, if our closest relationships are out of whack, it's like nothing is right with the world until that's resolved, right? Mm, mm. Whether it's a spouse or your close friends or a coworker or whatever. And there's an example of that. If you look at Philippians 4, where it, the chapter opens with the Apostle Paul talking about these two women who were pillars of the church in Philippi. And I don't know who these women were. It's like the children's ministry director and the women's ministry director like I don't know but you know these are these are these are pillars of the church and they're not getting along they have a personality conflict Mm. we all know what that feels like it's like hard to find joy you're tense you're worried and Paul's not only does he say get along and like pleading with the church to help these women get along he tells us how to do it Mm. And this is a good prescription for anything that you need to really find joy in. He says, first, rejoice. And I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Mm. And when, when you read that or when you're in an experience like that, it's sort of a, okay, what does it have to do with anything? Like, first of all, that's <laughs> the first question that you have. <clears throat> and then secondly, okay, Paul, you're in prison. You're chained to a wall. How do you rejoice in a prison or in a difficult marriage or when you're having a difficulty with someone who used to be your best friend or whatever, right? And he says, here's what, here's what you do. How do you do that is you mm. think on whatever is excellent. You think on whatever is lovely. You mm. think about whatever is worthy of praise rather than the things that are worthy of driving you nuts, Wait, what? So don't focus on them and they and that group over there and how wrong they are. And correct. And 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 this is the sort of the key kicker <laughs> is it's not enough to just not focus on them. Mm. We're commanded to rejoice and to look for those things that are lovely. And that is the um, key pivot point. If you are going to practice gratitude, that specifically is what you will be practicing. Mm. Because Mm. truth here of the neuroscience, what you focus on is what you will see. 
Hmm. And then does that replicate? Like I would, I can see it in my own life, but like, does the science back up? Like that what you see is good and then you see then more good like happen like does it produce the fruit okay it does I'll give you an example I actually I think (laughs) I think I even put one of I did one of the days in the devotional tells this story because it cracked me up so much when I saw this so there was a group there were a group of I always say this wrong plastic surgeons I think this was in um in Great Britain Okay. Um, There's a group of plastic surgeons that submitted to their equivalent of the FDA. Um, You know, you give, you submit medicines to the FDA of maybe this works with whatever. They submitted Botox as having potentially an off-label use as an antidepressant Mm. um, because they noticed that the their patients who were being treated with Botox, you know, the injections to get rid of lines and wrinkles. Yeah. They noticed that their patients were much more emotionally positive and they thought maybe there was a chemical in there or something that was could be used as an antidepressant. So they submitted it and they and the scientists studied when they did the study. Um, you know, they thought maybe it was that people just felt more pretty and so they were happier. <laughs> and that yeah. wasn't it. Right. It turns out what they found is it's not a chemical antidepressant. It turns out that Botox paralyzes the frown muscles. <laughs> These people couldn't frown. And when they couldn't do this, like scrunch up their forehead and yeah. make a frowny face, they felt less frowny. They felt more positive. And it's like, we can skip the shot of Botox to the forehead and just do Philippians 4.8, right? Like thinking on whatever is excellent. It does become a habit of life. These people, Botox is paralytic uh, for the corrugator muscles, the frown muscles for somewhere around three to four weeks. And so these people had a three to four week span of every day having this reinforced over and over and over. And that is what God wants us to do Mm. by focusing on those beautiful things that is, are happening and what he's done for us. Can you help me? Because I think of, you know, the primary audience of this podcast, probably 20 to 40 somethings who are really looking for like gritty gospel good news right now. And Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners care a lot about, you know, social justice stuff. And Mm -hmm. so we, how, how -hmm. would you envision someone with a joyful, hopeful attitude it's not even attitude, like joy, like what is the word I'm even looking for? A joyful demeanor. Yeah. yeah. With joy yeah. approach things like with like social justice, et cetera. And not, it seems like the primary posture, I'm not speaking for everyone, but it feels like we got to be angry. We got to be focused and we got to be, mm, you know, like how, how does one not be fake and approach social justice? I'm, it's so funny. You know, the scripture says, always stand ready to give an answer for the hope of glory within you, not the hostility within you. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah, which is, unfortunately, when you try to get something done, here's, what's, here's another research study that we did for our book, The Kindness Challenge, a couple of years ago. What we found is that it's a, um, there are seven different kind of patterns inside of us of how we sort of approach life where we're negative without intending to be and sort of unkind 
unintentionally because everybody values kindness, just like everybody values joy, right? Mm, mm. We just don't realize that there's ways that we're not being kind every day. And one of those patterns is what leads to that. Mm. And it is, I always get the word wrong, catastrophizing. There we go. Catastrophizing. I didn't even know that was a word Mm. (laughs) before Mm. I started doing that particular project. But it's, Mm. it's, here's what's happening is that we are so passionate about something that we think this could hurt people. We have to stop this or this is so important. We have to push for this. And we catastrophize. We say, if this doesn't happen, it's going to be a catastrophe. Right. And maybe that's true. Like, you know, people may think if this person doesn't win the election, it's going to be a catastrophe. Or if this person does, it's going to be a catastrophe. Or this senator or this local statehouse person, or if my my daughter dates that guy, it's going to be a catastrophe. Whatever those things are, some of those are probably true. Some of them aren't. But the problem is because we perceive it that way, we we feel this license to therefore in confronting it be very unkind because we are trying to prevent something we think is incredibly damaging. Mm. And, and yet we don't have that license Mm. from the Lord. And the, and this is one of the things that is just as essential in continuing to have that sense of eternal wonder and eternal joy is to recognize a, he is still on the throne, yeah, no girl. matter what may be happening that I think is a catastrophe. Yeah. He is still on the throne. He is still in control. And I'm trying to fit into his kingdom and trying to sort of bring his kingdom here on earth. Mm. And that those scenarios that we are so worried about, those are exactly the kinds of scenarios that Jesus was talking about when he said to love one another as I have loved you or to love one another in the way you would want to be loved. You know, do mm. unto others as you would have them do unto you. That We think of that as like the sweet little sentiment we teach our kids. It's not a sweet little sentiment. The, mm. If you look at what he's talking about, this is this profoundly challenging choice he's asking us to make. He's He's talking about exactly those incredibly damaging, unfair situations like people stealing from you. And he says, I want you to have, treat those people who are being incredibly unfair, unkind, harsh, awful people with the grace and the generosity and the kindness and the love that you wish they were treating you. Mm, mm. We don't get an out. Mm, everything's so countercultural right now, but it's always been yeah. countercultural. It's just the gospel is extra right in our world of remembering, you know, in our lifetime. It feels extra. It does. It's it does feel so extra. And we think, God help us. I don't know why we do this. We think, and I have to help it along. Yes. Oh, you know, like, God can't do this without me. And it's like, <sighs> Ah, we are supposed, and we've all heard this, and it's so true. It is so much more important to be the people that God wants us to be than to do the things that he wants us to do. It's the being the people that he wants Mm. us to be is far more of a testimony to a world that Mm. desperately needs it. 
I just think of the work that my husband and I have done in engaging the church and the LGBT conversation from an orthodox historical biblical view. And like, I'm just, as you're speaking, oh, I just was, wow. <laughs> I'm just, Jesus help, but I can just reflect on times when our message was so, was not heard or on the edge of not being Mm -hmm. heard. And if I just reflect right now in my heart, it's in those seasons of where in my heart, I can picture my controlling clause in the audience being like, you need to listen, but nobody hears that. Nobody does. And so we need to take, I just have to, I'm in a constant posture, which I feel like should be maybe our next question, but of taking my controlling fingers off of who I think needs to change and putting it back on Jesus and saying, you are in control, God. You care about this more than I do. I trust you. I cannot, you care more and I need you. I I need you. No, no, no. God, Give us love for our audience. I heard that from Francis Chan a couple years ago. And he's like, I always pray for love for my audience. So no matter who it is we're speaking to, do we trust God? That's exactly what he said. I love it. And do we actually love who we're speaking to? Because that's going to give us a heart posture that's actually able to be received. Okay. 21 might be worse. 2021. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. And it, it doesn't matter, but what, if joy is the like state that we live in, what is the muscle we need to develop? And we can develop as an, one of the tools is your devotional. Like what is it? Perseverance? Is it grit? Mm -hmm. Is it what's, what do we need to develop? We need, we do need perseverance. I mean that when you, when it comes right down to it, we need that as an engine to keep us going. And we Mm. need to be willing to look at God's answers in our lives and his work, the work of the Holy spirit in our, our person, our being, our heart, whatever it is you want to say and Mm. be willing to cooperate with that and to not do the things that are going to sabotage that. I will encourage anybody right now, for example, Get rid of the idea that venting is healthy. Just eliminate it because it is the thing that is the most going to sabotage you. Mm. Like literally, it's fine to like, if you're having a problem with something, you know, go to a friend, get counsel, that's fine. But if it's anything that's like, oh my gosh, I just need to vent for a minute because I think that it's healthier to let the steam out of the kettle so it doesn't explode realize we've all bought into this idea that that is going to help and it's not that's going to hurt it turns out neuroscientists have found that that's inaccurate neurologically and the Mm. better analogy is it it actually activates this sort of interconnected anger system in the brain Mm. and that the better analogy isn't venting steam the better analogy is you are turning up the heat under the pot and And that is whether you're complaining about something that's going on in politics or in the economy or shutdowns or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's, you've turned up the heat under the pot. If you refuse to do that, whether it's social media or in person or over text, and instead you're looking for whatever is lovely, but gosh, look at the amazing amount of time I get to spend with my family and my kids that I don't normally get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so hard to be doing virtual school. I'm, my head is ready to explode. <laughs> and yet, how precious it is that in 10 years from now, my kids will have this memory 
of this season that we did all this stuff together, you know, as a family. And Mm -hmm. you can always find those things that are worthy of praise, even in difficult situations. And that is like taking the, the pot off the burner. And it's really in that moment that you're allowing the joy to grow. And we have to persevere at that. We just, we have to, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise we accidentally sabotage ourselves again. Would you say you could take that venting bah, that is 0% helpful on people and take it to lament, take it to God and yeah pour your heart out to him, which if we sit there, that will lead to the worship. It, it will, but it's not enough. It will not lead to the worship unless you turn your mind to worship. Turn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is just as damaging to constantly and only be lamenting. If you mm-hmm. look at the laments in scripture, there is always a turn where David in the Psalms is like, oh, this is so hard, but Lord, you are mighty. He we forces have to it. be willing to make mm. that turn. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, Shanti, would you, I don't always do this, but sometimes I sense a spirit uh, of just asking our guests to just pray over those yeah. listening and just, it, we, we cannot do this on our own. So nope. would you just pray over us? Lord Jesus, we cannot do this on our own. And yet all of us are longing for that joy you promise us that is not dependent on our circumstances. Mm. All of us have wanted to and have felt like we've built our house on that rock. And yet when that wind comes and blows, sometimes it feels like we're sand, like we've built on something that's slipping. Lord, show each of us what we need to do and where we need to sit with you in order to build our house on that firm foundation and have that sense of eternal wonder, even as a storm is howling outside. Mm -hmm. Help us to be able to live in that. Help us to be able to train our kids in that. Lord, during this time, weird time of 2020, this is not an accident. You're building up muscles in your people. Yes. One of those muscles is to be able to look to you with all gladness and joy and trust. Mm. Help us, Lord, to maintain and to build that muscle so that we Mm. can do whatever you've called us to do and be the people that you've called us to be for whatever is ahead. We Mm. trust you, Lord. Mm. And we ask this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Mm. Amen. Thank you so much, Shanti, for being with us today. Sure thing, Lori. Thanks for allowing me to share. All right, guys, we got to do it. This book is a weapon (laughs) that we need and perseverance is a character quality we got to develop and joy is a state that even melancholy old me (laughs) can learn more about. So go get it. Find Joy, A Devotional Journey to Unshakable Wonder in an Uncertain World by Shanti Feldhahn. I do have a question of the week for next week. What's a snow memory that you have? Have you been around snow? A sweet one, like mm, cozying up all the heige or I don't know, there's some sort of Norwegian or Swedish something or other where you're supposed to feel cozy in the cold. 
I still don't. Uh, well, a funny one or a terrifying one. I've got lots of terrifying snow memories living in from Michigan. Uh, hit me up on the old Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email me at podcast at lauriecreek.com. Thank you again to Shanti Feldhahn. Thanks. God bless Steve O'Dell and Matt Krieg, who doesn't have COVID, but has our kids. God helps Steve to get better. Uh, and for all of us, and just little old me here today at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>